0: Uh, Well, friends, uh, I don't know about you, but my favourite genre is the British crime drama. Uh, Has anyone else watched British crime dramas here? Uh, A few of us. Uh, I I love them. Uh, You know, whether whether it's Agatha Christie's Poirot series, or Sherlock Holmes, or any number of popular crime shows that are on at the moment, uh, it's simply riveting stuff. Uh, You know, the, the plot is always the same, isn't it? Uh, usually someone dies uh, under pretty suspicious circumstances. Then the detective, uh, who is really the hero of the whole series, uh, gets to work. Uh, there are a number of suspects who could have murdered the victim, and so the suspense builds and builds because uh, you don't quite know who did the deed. But right at the end of the show, uh, just before it finishes... The detective, with all his ingenuity, cracks the case. The mystery is solved and everything comes to light. Uh, Now friends, uh, we've been working our way through Ephesians for the last little while, as uh, Jason has just mentioned, and uh, it's been wonderful hearing from some of you how much uh, you've been enjoying uh, reading Ephesians uh, on your own and and together with others. But uh, I want to suggest that as we come to chapter 3 this morning, Uh, This part of Ephesians uh, is really all about the mystery of God's plans for this world, which have now come to light. The mystery of God's plans for this world, which have now come to light. Uh, Just like the drama that that I've been describing, God's plans and purposes for this world have been uh, secret, have been hidden in the past, but now Uh, It has been revealed for all to see. Uh, You can see that this is uh, what Paul is talking about in this passage, uh, in the word mystery that is repeated over and over again in this passage. So uh, have a look with me at uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, notice how many times this word is repeated. Uh, It's there in verse 3, for example, and uh, you can see it there again in verse 4. Uh, If you come down slightly to verse 6, you can see the word mystery there again. And uh, if you go down a little bit further to verse 9, the word mystery is there again. You see, what Paul has to say here to the Christians around uh, the city of Ephesus has really got to do with the mystery of God's plans for this world. Uh, Now, the first thing that Paul says in our passage is that this mystery has been revealed Uh, This mystery has been revealed. Uh, In some ways, I think what Paul says in our passage this morning is a bit of a digression, uh, even though it is a very important digression. For if you have a look with me at verse 1, verse 1, you can see there that Paul seems like he is ready to start praying for the Ephesians. Uh, He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, if you remember from last week, we saw that uh, the Gentiles are now fellow citizens uh, in God's kingdom. They are part of his family and now part of his temple that he is building. And so for this reason, in verse 1, Paul wants to pray for these Gentile Christians. And yet... If you look carefully, Paul digresses uh, after verse 1 and it's only later in verse 14 that he, he picks up and starts to pray for the Ephesian Christians. In verse 14 it starts off the same way, doesn't it? For this reason. And then he prays for the Ephesian Christians. But what is this important digression that Paul wants to speak about? Well, Uh, It's that the mystery of God's plans for this world have now been revealed to him. Uh, You can see it there in verse 2, can't you? Uh, Verse 2 says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, says Paul, for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Uh, You see, Paul has already already written about this mystery in the past can anyone remember where he has mentioned this mystery uh, in in previous chapters of Ephesians have you all been going to growth groups uh, chapter one well done Matt um, chapter one nine ten Paul has already spoken about the mystery which uh, there uh, is about God's plan and purpose for this world to unite all things under the lordship of Jesus on the last day. Uh, but here, what Paul talks about is how God is going to do this. Uh, the word stewardship that you see there in verse 2 is better translated as the word strategy. Uh, what Paul is talking about here is the strategy of how God is going to achieve his plans to bring all things under the lordship of Jesus. And this strategy and this mystery has now been revealed to him. However, it has not only been revealed to the Apostle Paul at his conversion, uh, probably on the Damascus Road, but if you read further, it's also been revealed by the Spirit of God to the apostles and to the New Testament prophets who proclaimed the message of the apostles. Uh, you can see it there in verse 4, can't you? Verse 4, he says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Uh, you know, we live in a world where we love the, the great read. Um, you know, every year thousands of people gather in, in a room to watch the CEO of Apple remove the veil on the latest iPhone to reveal its glory to all the world. Uh, on MasterChef, I've noticed that they love to put a little lid on the, on the food. What do they call them? Uh, Colosses. Yeah, they, they put a little lid. And so it builds up the suspense until they reveal what's under Here, the astonishing thing that Paul says to these Christians around Ephesus who are probably gathered around uh, a small uh, house somewhere listening to Paul's letter, what Paul says to these Christians is that God has and he has revealed his astonishing plans for this world for all to see. Now, uh, friends, I want to suggest that this is actually... A wonderful thing for us. For it means that God is not, you know, uh, a sneaky kind of God. Uh, Have you ever met anyone sneaky before? Have you ever worked with anyone sneaky? Um, Someone who perhaps holds their cards very close to their chest? Perhaps it's your boss at work. Uh, Perhaps it's a family member. Perhaps it's a friend. But whoever it is, it's horrible working for people like this, isn't it? You know, you always are left feeling uncertain. You, You never quite know what they want from you. You're always having to second guess what that person wants and what that person is planning Now, it is true that we can never know everything there is to know about the God who created the universe. It would be foolish to think that we can know everything about him. But in his extraordinary kindness, he has lifted the lid on his plan and his purposes for this world and how he is going to accomplish it. But uh, here's the thing, friends. Did you notice... Who this mystery has been revealed to in this passage? Well, it's Paul and the apostles, isn't it? It's those who are the ones who wrote down God's plans and his purposes for this world in the New Testament scriptures. In other words, friends, uh, if you and I are serious about finding out what God is doing in this world... And if you and I are serious about wanting to take our place in those plans and purposes of God, then we cannot do it apart from the New Testament scriptures in our lives. Uh, I wonder whether for some Christian people, their understanding of God's plans and what God wants them to do come more from their imagination rather than what God has actually said. Is that true? But can you see that what God is saying here is that we cannot know his plans through human imagination. We will always end up in the wrong place. But it comes through revelation as we read uh, the writings of Paul and the testimony of the apostles, and as the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us through the things that we read. Are you someone who is growing in your knowledge of the New Testament scriptures? Because you are interested in finding out what God is doing in this world and how you might take part in in those great plans. I would suggest that if you are not reading the scriptures for yourself uh, and with others, then it is highly unlikely that you will be growing in your understanding of what God wants. And so this is an encouragement to you to start reading the Bible. (laughs) Read it on your own. Uh, Read it with other people at church. Um, Join a growth group. But we will not understand God and his plans and purposes apart from the New Testament scriptures. Now, uh, Paul has just told us that the mystery of God's plans for this world has now been revealed to him uh, and the apostles. However, he hasn't actually told us yet just what the mystery is, has he? And so you'll notice there that he goes on to spell out what the mystery actually is. And the mystery is that Gentiles, uh, that is the non-Jews, together with the Jewish people, can now experience God's blessing through the gospel. I'll say that again. The Gentiles, who are not Jewish, together with the Jews, can now together experience God's blessing through the gospel. Uh, You can see it there in verse 6, where Paul says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. And partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You'll see there that Paul mentions that the Gentiles can now experience the blessings of God together with the Jewish people. Uh, You can see it in three ways. Uh, Firstly, he says that the Gentiles can now be fellow heirs with the Jews. Uh, In the Old Testament, it was the, the nation of Israel, wasn't it, who were called the Son of God. They were the ones who were set to inherit the promised land. And yet here, Paul says, the Gentiles as well. Well, you can be fellow heirs with the Jews. Set to inherit the promised land. Secondly, uh, Paul says that the Gentiles can now be members of the same body. In other words, it is both Jew and Gentile who can now be part of God's family. Uh, the, the language of body uh, is uh, the language that Paul uses to describe the church in the New Testament, isn't it? But both Jew and Gentiles can now be part of the church of God, which is uh, Christ's body and God's people. And finally, Paul says that the Gentiles are partakers of the promise. Uh, what promise is, is Paul talking about here? Well, if you turn back to chapter 1 verse 13, chapter 1 verse 13, you'll notice there that what has been promised by God in the past is the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is saying to these Gentile Christians is that you, as well as the Jews, can now receive the Holy Spirit and find the new life that is uh, by the Spirit that the Old Testament prophets were talking about. But friends, um, here's the really difficult question. How can this be a mystery? The idea that the Jews can find the blessings of God. How can that be a mystery? I mean, if you have a look at chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says that this mystery has not been made known to the sons of men in past generations. Or if you look down at verse 9, Paul says that this mystery has been hidden for ages in God. But has the idea that the Gentiles will one day find God's blessing been an idea that has been hidden by God in the past, in the Old Testament? But Where do you see in the Old Testament... Uh, the idea that Gentiles will be included in the people of God and find his blessing. Uh, I might give you just a few moments just to um, think about that with your neighbor, and uh, we'll come and and collect some thoughts together. I'll just give you a moment to to think about. uh, Where in the Old Testament does it speak about the Gentiles finding blessing from God? And if you've been listening carefully, you've already heard it this morning. All right, any takers? Where do you find this idea that Gentiles will find God's blessing one day in the Old Testament? Yep, Charles? Thank you. When God promises Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 12 that uh, not only will he bless Abraham and his descendants, but that through them God will bless all the families of the world. That's what he says. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, isn't it? Anywhere else? Yeah. So uh, Isaiah 42, 49 speaks about the, the servant of God and how he will be a, a light to the nations. Uh, in the Psalms, we saw it today in Psalm 2 that um, uh, God says to his anointed king, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And so the idea of the Gentiles actually finding God's blessing has not really been a mystery for those with eyes to see in the Old Testament. And so I wonder whether the mystery is not simply the idea that Gentiles can now know God's blessing, and that's been there all the time, But I think the mystery is really about how it is that these Gentiles and Jews can now know God's blessing. And how can they know God's blessing? Well, it's through a crucified Messiah. That's the surprise, isn't it? It's by being united with Jesus Christ who died on the cross that both Jew and Gentile can come to find the blessing of God. Now, for you and me, uh, we might think, oh, well, that's not very revolutionary. Um, that That's what we hear uh, pretty much every day of our lives. But I assure you that this is an idea that rocked the world in Paul's day, for what it means is that Gentiles do not now need to become Jews by obeying the Old Testament law in order to be God's people. Nor do Jews... Become part of God's family simply by adhering to the Old Testament law. But both Jew and Gentile now become part of God's family simply by responding to the gospel of the one who has died for them and putting their trust in him. It is, if you like, a law free gospel. We become part of God's family, not through the law, not through our works, not through our church going, not through by being baptised by water, not through any of these things that we do, but only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul is suffering in prison as he writes this letter. Because the Jews could not stomach a law-free gospel. It is why the Jews persecuted the Apostle Paul, just as they persecuted the Lord uh, Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in fact, the gospel that says that you can now be part of God's family, not by anything that you can do, but by the free grace that is available in the crucified Messiah, is also something very offensive to those who think that they can earn their way to heaven. It is equally offensive in our day to speak about grace to those who are part of works-based religions, who think that they get to heaven simply by the things that they do and by obeying the law. But it is this law-free gospel that is God's mystery or plan to include both Jew and Gentile into God's family. Now, uh, in the final part of our passage this morning, uh, we are told of God's strategy of how he is going to accomplish his plans and purposes, uh, or this mystery that has now been revealed. God's strategy of how he is going to accomplish his plans. And uh, you can see there that a key part of God's strategy is the Apostle Paul. Uh, In verse 7, Paul says that, He has been made a minister, which is really the word servant. That's all that the word minister means. Uh, If anyone is a minister, whether it's the minister who stands up the front or uh, somebody, a minister sitting in the pews, it it simply means they are a servant, nothing more. In verse 7, Paul says that he has been made a minister. Uh, And Paul is the one God has chosen to be servant, with a special role to play in God's plans. Further, you can see it again in verse 7, that this has come about by God's grace. You see, Paul is painfully aware at this point of his past life of actively persecuting the church of God. That's why in verse 8 he describes himself as the very least of all the saints. He was, if you like, a terrorist who took pleasure in the murder of Christians and took pleasure in dragging away Christians to their death or to prison, until, of course, until, of course, the grace of God intervened in his life. You may remember his dramatic conversion on the, on the road to Damascus as he is confronted By a blinding light, and as the Lord Jesus Christ himself appears, it is at this point where he is not only converted, but he is given the special task of being God's servant. But what is the task that has been given to Paul? Well, you can see there that it is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, isn't it? You can see there in verse 8, Paul says, "'To me, though I am the very least of all the saints,' This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, don't you love that phrase? The unsearchable riches of Christ. It's the idea that if you have Christ, you have unimaginable riches. Unfathomable riches. Inexhaustible riches. Riches. You see, I can have all the money in the world and all the property in the world and all the superannuation money in my bank account to last me a lifetime. But if I do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, says God, then I am poor and pitiable and destitute and bankrupt And one day I will face my ruin when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to judge the world. However, if I have the Lord Jesus Christ, then Paul says, I am rich beyond measure, for I have been forgiven of my sins, and I have been given a heavenly inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. If you are here this morning and you know that you do not have Christ, then why don't you receive him this morning? Why don't you come to him and why don't you receive all that he offers, the forgiveness of sins, redemption or the purchasing back of your life by his blood, and the offer of eternal life. Why don't you come to him and receive him by putting your trust in him, not only as somebody who gives you things, but as somebody who is your Lord and your master and the boss of your life. Why don't you become truly rich this morning? However, you'll notice there that Paul's task is not simply to preach the gospel to the Gentiles himself. But it is about making known God's strategy of how this will continue long after Paul has gone. Uh, You can see it there in verse 9 where Paul explains that his role is also to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Uh, The word plan that you see there, is the same word that was translated stewardship in chapter 3, verse 2, and it simply means strategy. You see, Paul's role was not only to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but to make known God's strategy of how Jew and Gentile, and indeed people from every nation, will come into his family through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, that is God's astonishing plan for this world. It is to bring Jew and Gentile and people from every nation into his family through the gospel, as not only Paul, but those to whom this plan is revealed to, undertake the work of speaking the gospel to one another and to others. And as God's people do that work. Well, God calls Jew, Gentile, people from every nation to come to be a part of his family, to be a part of his church, to be a part of his new creation. And that's why I think at the end of verse 9, Paul describes God as the one who created all things. For what he is saying is that in the church, as Jew and Gentile come together in the name of the Lord Jesus, God is at work in making a new creation, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the simply breathtaking thing that Paul says here is that as the church gathers together, the wisdom of God is on display to the cosmos. The wisdom of God is on display for all the powers in the spiritual realm to see. You can see it there in verse 10, can't you? Verse 10, Paul says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Uh, The word manifold wisdom refers to the complex brilliance of God's plan of salvation. Uh, Think of an intricately woven piece of tapestry. Uh, Think of the multifaceted beauty of a a diamond that is shimmering. Uh, It's talking about the wonderful wisdom of God who has woven both Jews and Gentiles and people from every nation with all their diversity into the church. And as the church gathers together in this way, God is displaying to the powers in the spiritual realm, just how wise and just how powerful and victorious he really is. Uh, Recently I was watching the Winter Olympic Games and uh, I noticed that on TV there was a pre-recorded interview with one of the athletes. I think it might have been one of the uh, uh, ice skaters. Uh, The interview was conducted at his home and uh, the camera crew entered in the front door and made its way to the lounge room. And there, in the lounge room, uh, just uh, on one of the walls there, taking pride of place, was a trophy cabinet with all his trophies, uh, all his medals, all the symbols of victory that this athlete had amassed over the years. Now what God is saying here is that the church is a bit like that. It is God's trophy cabinet, if you like. As Christians from all different nations gather together in the church at Strathfield, in the church at Enfield, in all the churches in Sydney, and indeed all across the world, God is displaying his trophy cabinet. This is how wise and how powerful and how victorious I am. And he's declaring that to all the powers in the heavenly places. The angels, as well as those hostile spiritual powers that are at work in the spiritual realm. Friends, I wonder how you and I think of church each Sunday uh, or during the week as we gather with other Christian people. Uh, If we're completely honest, I'm sure there are times when we would be more content staying in bed than coming to church. Is that right? I certainly feel like that at times. Or perhaps we come to church and uh, we feel a little bit underwhelmed at times. You know, you look across the pew and you see that awkward person that always manages to say the wrong thing. Or sometimes things go wrong in the service. The musos make a mistake, or the PowerPoint isn't working this morning. At other times, the sermon is a bit boring. You might be thinking that at the moment. And yet, can you see that what God is saying is that as the church gathers together, as his people gather together because they've been brought together by the blood of the Lord Jesus, then what is really going on is that God's wisdom is on display to all the powers in the spiritual realms. There is something cosmic going on even as we gather this morning. That's why Paul finishes by saying to the Christians around Ephesus, not to lose heart over what he is suffering. You can see it there in verse 13, can't you? So I, Paul, ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, so many things in the Christian life appear pretty weak and unimpressive, doesn't it? Uh, You know, Paul here is sitting in prison. Uh, He might look foolish and weak and pitiful in the eyes of the world. And yet Paul knows that the mystery of God's plans and purposes for this world has now been revealed. Uh, Paul knows that he and others are proclaiming the gospel Uh, to people all around the world and he knows that through the gospel of Jesus who died for sins and rose again to new life that God is building his church his new creation which displays just how wise and just how powerful and just how victorious God really is let's pray